Well, good morning, family. I encourage you to take your Bibles and open to the, the little letter of First Peter. If you haven't been around, uh, we have been all this fall going through this little letter, and we are coming here to the end of it. Today actually won't be the last lesson in First Peter, but it's very close. Uh, next week, we're going to have the choir doing their presentation, so I hope you're here for that, and it will be a delight. And then the next Sunday is Christmas. Hard to believe it's here already. All right, First Peter, let's have a word of prayer before we dig into the Word. Father, what a good thing to be here, to be here together with the family, to be able to worship you. To be able now to come and to open your word. Here in your word, we meet you. It is here you reveal yourself to us that we may know you. It is here that you reveal your, your truth to us that we might be instructed as to how we are to live as your people in this place. So Father, may you through your spirit Illuminate your word to our hearts. May we do our part, Father, by having receptive minds, receptive hearts. That as we hear your word, that it would do a work in us. May it convict us in places where we need convicting. May it encourage us where we need encouragement. And Father, may it change us. May it May you work through your word to conform us more to the image of your dear Son, that he might be glorified in us and accomplish your purpose through us. So in these next moments, Father, we ask your blessing, for we are needy. And we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. A few weeks ago, a shockwave hit the financial uh, world. And the effects of that are still rippling and, and occurring around us even today as FTX, the world's third largest cryptocurrency exchange, collapsed. Tens of billions of dollars were lost by over a million investors. Frankly, I don't even pretend to understand cryptocurrency. It's a mystery to me. And, and granted, I'm pretty unsophisticated when it comes to investing and financial things. And when it comes to technology, I'm even more of a dinosaur. But it just seems to me that cryptocurrency is made-up money. <laughs> Something somebody invented in their garage, you know, a little pretend money. Like my grandkids, you know, who just cut up a piece of paper and write some number on there and it's money, you know. Then again, as I was thinking about it this week, I thought, what real value does most currency have today? I mean, how much of a tangible difference of value is there between this dollars, this hundred dollar bill and this hundred dollar bill? I mean, we can say that one is worth $100 and one is worth nothing, but the reality is they're both paper. 
And the only value they have is what people have vested in them. But I digress. That really has nothing to do with my message this morning. <laughs> what it does have to do with this is what caused the demise of FTX that caused all this trouble and all this disruption out there? What caused it to happen? And, and if you're like me, I've read and, and listened to lots of different things that people are pointing to about this and that and whatever, but it seems to me it comes down to really one simple thing. It is either bad or corrupt leadership. See, key to the success of most anything in our world, especially to the success of an organization, is good leadership. And it's the same thing in the church. While the church, we can say, is not an organization, it's a body, and that's true. But the church is an organization, and most churches rise and fall with the quality of their leadership. As our study here in 1 Peter, as we come to chapter 5 this morning, and Paul is wrapping up this book, we, we know that all the theme all through this book has been writing to a church that is undergoing some very difficult times, and it's words of encouragement, and it's words trying to strengthen them and build them So they not only survive, but they thrive in difficult days, in days of persecution. And the times that they are undergoing now are going to get much worse in the near future, which the Holy Spirit knew as he moved Peter to write this letter to these these believers in what we in the area we today call Asia Minor or Turkey. And in the brief passage before us today, it's loaded with important teachings about leadership. Information that is essential to having a vital and thriving and effective church. Especially if a church is undergoing trials, suffering, trying to survive, and even and especially trying to thrive in a world that is hostile. It's worth noting that in the verses just before this, in the passage that Pastor Aaron very ably took us through last week, it says in verse 17, if you'll just lift your eyes up there in the page, and I hope you have the Scriptures open before you this morning. In verse 17 it says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And I don't have time to go back as as Peter is actually looking back to the Old Testament, quoting this this passage, and he's talking about God's judgment falling upon the leaders of the house of Israel at that time. And he's saying it's time now for the judgment to begin falling upon the household of God. And his point is that now Peter is saying, with that thought, he turns his attention to the leadership of the household of God, the leaders of the churches there to whom he is writing. And he is gently going to prod those leaders to be busy and to be faithful in their work so that the church is prepared and the church is ready to thrive in a time of testing. 
This is an especially appropriate message for us today. When I laid it out, I didn't even think about it at the time. But it's especially appropriate as today in just you know, a few hours when I finish this sermon. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have our annual congregational meeting. And in that meeting, one of the things we'll do is, is approve as a congregation some, some new leaders who will be leading this congregation. And so this is an appropriate passage to study, a timely passage. In the first two verses here of chapter 5, Peter looks at, or he lays out for us, I don't know so much directly, but indirectly, he lays out for us the function of church leaders. It's actually both directly and indirectly. We'll see it as we go along. Follow along. I'll read verses 1 and 2. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Peter addresses here the primary leaders of the church who are the elders. If you go through the New Testament, we don't have time to do it this morning, you will discover that throughout the New Testament there are three words, two other words besides this word elders that the Scripture uses to describe, uh, to, to name this office of the this leadership office in the church. All three of those words are actually here in the passage before us, which helps us. Because the three words together give us a summary of the job description of these leaders in the church, these elders. That's the the first of these words. And Peter says, I exhort the elders among you. The Greek word there, and I know we don't care about Greek words so much, but you might find it interesting, it's presbyteros. And you might recognize that because you think that sounds a lot like Presbyterian. Well, that's where the name came from. Okay, the word is simply elders. When we you might notice as well that he says to the elders among you, we note that that's plural. And again, if we went, had time to go through and study and look at this word throughout the New Testament, what we it seems to be the norm that in every church there are multiple elders. There are more than one. There are some churches that think that a church should only have one elder and uh, they can have their opinions. They're wrong. No, I, I think it seems to be the norm. I can't, we don't want to be dogmatic about that. But it seems that every place you find elders in a church, there are always elders in a church. One example here from Acts uh, chapter 14. They had appointed elders for them in every church. Multiple elders in every church. We could go through more, but that's not the main point of the passage. We'll move on. It's that way, though, here at the chapel. I am not the elder of the chapel of the lake, but rather I am one among several elders. And that is simply wisdom. It's wisdom because for one thing, every elder that we have is a flawed individual. They are fallen sinful men rescued by the grace of Jesus, but we still, we still are fallen. We need, we need accountability. That's one of the purposes of multiple elders. We hold one another accountable as leaders. There's a danger when churches only have one person in charge 
as, and we see that danger played out often in, um, in the world around us. But it's also practical wisdom because the ministry in the church needs, most of the time, it needs more than two hands. It needs lots of hands. And so there's wisdom in having multiple elders. Elders, most of us understand with if we have gray hair or less hair or no hair uh, or we're just, most of us understand that elders refers to folks who are older. And that certainly is typical with what the what an elder is to be, but it's not really the focus. The focus isn't about necessary chronological age or years of life, but it has to do with age spiritually, with spiritual maturity. And that is the focus when we speak of elders, is we speak of those who are spiritually mature. That is because it's, it's important because perhaps the most important function of elders is to provide a solid spiritual foundation for the church. It is to be to provide a foundation of spiritual maturity for a local assembly. Peter doesn't describe what spiritual maturity looks like here, but if we if we had the time to go to look at uh, the writings of Paul to uh, the book of Titus chapter 1 or to 1 Timothy chapter 3, you can look there and the Apostle Paul lays out the qualifications for elders. What does it look like? What, what's the, what is an elder supposed to be like? What are the qualifications? And what he describes there is what spiritual maturity looks like. And along with that spiritual maturity... It's accompanied by, and that maturity shows up, by the way, I should say, as, as a character, as godly character, but it's accompanied by a good knowledge of God's Word. They know God's Word well. Paul says it this way in Titus. He says, He, the elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. In other words, an elder is someone who is spiritually mature that shows up in godly character, but also in knowledge of God's Word. He knows God's Word, he embraces God's Word, he can teach God's Word, and he can refute those who try to twist God's Word. That is the function of an elder, to be spiritually mature. There's a second word, though, in this passage that is used to describe these, this office of elder, and we find it in verse 2, where it says there, shepherd the flock that is among you. It's using a verb form of the noun shepherd, and say shepherd as a verb, but that is another word that is throughout the New Testament identified with this office of elder. They are used interchangeably. They mean different things. Elder means older. Shepherd is the same word that or it's often translated with a different word that means pastor. A pastor, a shepherd, is one who takes care of sheep. And it's using the analogy that the church is God's flock. We are his sheep. And God has shepherds of the sheep, and that is to be the elders. Their job is to shepherd. Contrary to popular thinking, 
by the way, in churches and among Christians, the Bible does not have a distinct office in the church of pastor. There's the office of elder. There's the office of deacon. But pastor is not an office. Pastor is a function of the office of elder. And so when it is used in the New Testament here, it is used of elders describing what they do. So elders are to shepherd sheep. Some elders might be paid to devote full time their efforts full time in shepherding sheep, but every elder, whether he is on staff or whether he is a lay elder, every elder is to be a shepherd. And so that raises the question, what does a shepherd do? Well, I have one dear friend back there who has been a shepherd. He he signs his wonderfully encouraging notes to me, La Petite um he does it in French. <laughs> but it means the little shepherd. I love that. Uh, and um, he understands sheep and shepherding. Most of us have never seen a shepherd. We've never seen a flock of sheep. And so we don't know what's involved. So let me just quickly, just some of the things that is, if you go through and do a study in Scripture that you find that shepherds do. First of all, by the way, I would say that he, he, he notes here that the shepherds are to shepherd the flock of God. Most shepherds, take they are hired to do their job. They work for someone and they take care of someone else's sheep. Such is the case in the church. The elders, the pastors, don't take care of their own sheep. They're taking care of God's sheep. Pastors don't own the church. You know, there are are churches in this country with pastors who literally own the church. It ought not be so. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. He is, as we'll see later in the pastor, he is the over-shepherd. He is the great shepherd. And all that elders are, all that pastors are, is ones who serve under the great shepherd, taking care of his sheep, as it says here, as a stewardship. means they're entrusted with that. There's a great accountability. Elders will give accountability to God for how they shepherded his flock. That is a sobering thing. What do they do? Well, I put up here care. They care for the sheep. And since the, the flock is an analogy, we're not talking about literal sheep, and it's not literal physical care, it is spiritual care. And how, what does a shepherd do? Well, a shepherd knows his sheep. Jesus said the good shepherd knows his sheep. He calls them by name. He binds their wounds. He knows their their idiosyncrasies. He knows their specific needs, how they work. Elders, likewise, need to know and care for the people in their flock. They need to know them by name. They need to know their needs. And and uh, it's why, by the one one... One reason why the larger a church gets, the more elders are needed. The more shepherds are needed. One man can't possibly take care spiritually of all of you. I depend so heavily on all of my co-shepherds to do the work of ministry in this church. Secondly, more specifically, the spiritual care shows up as, for example, feeding the flock. Shepherds are responsible for keeping the sheep well fed. As you remember the 23rd Psalm, the shepherd's Psalm, the the shepherd there, he says, leads the sheep. It's from the perspective of the sheep. 
He leads me into green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. That's what a shepherd does. He makes sure that the sheep are fed. The elders are to make sure that the, the sheep of the church are spiritually well fed. The elders are to make sure that the Word of God is taught, is taught clearly, is taught rightly. And that people are learning God's Word and applying God's Word. That is the function of elders to make sure that is done. doesn't mean that only elders teach, but elders are to, in charge of making sure that teaching is happening and that it's doing well. The shepherd not only feeds the sheep, the shepherd protects the sheep. Sheep, as I understand, are basically defenseless animals. The defense of a sheep is, is to stand there and hope that the wolf eats some, another sheep. You know, that's their defense mechanism. And so the shepherd's job is to protect the sheep from coyotes and wolves and anything else, thieves, any, any other danger that those sheep face. And so a pastor, a shepherd, their job is to protect the flock from the things, the dangers that are there to the congregation. What dangers are there? Well, false teaching, false teachers, sin, divisions. It is the job of elders to protect the sheep from that which would destroy the church. And shepherds are to lead. Elders are to lead. They are to lead the church in setting the direction and setting the priorities in directing the course of the assembly of believers, the church. Well, so those, the function of the church leaders, they are, they are elders, they have spiritual maturity, they are shepherds, they are to care for the church. We find the third word that describes this, these leaders in the second half of verse 2 where it says, exercising oversight. Elders are not only elders and not only shepherds, they are overseers. It's the word episkopos from which the, you know the name episcopal. That's where they got that name. The Episcopal Church came from this word. Sometimes it's translated bishop. That's the word overseer is a bishop. Bishop isn't just some high exalted office with a guy with a pointy hat or whatever. Bishop is any elder. They are an overseer. This word is, describes their function, their, their position. They are to oversee the church, to function as a watchful authority. Every organization needs direction. It needs leadership. It needs those who can make decisions. That authority is given to the overseers or the bishops, the elders of the church. Okay. So he's talked to us about who the leaders are. And we, he's addressed them and he's said what they're supposed to be doing. These folks he's addressing are the elders, the spiritually mature. They are the, the shepherds. They are the overseers. Now he talks about, turns the attention to how they are to do their job. And he does it from a negative perspective. He says, here are three things that elders, shepherds, overseers are not to do. Three things that they are not to be. Wrong behaviors that unfortunately often come up among those in leadership. So he talks to us about the conduct of these church leaders. By the way, while this passage is addressing elders in the church, don't sit there and just think, none of this really applies to me. I can just sit back and relax. 
Because while this does, it is addressed to elders, it does have application to every one of us, especially those of us in any leadership position. Whether you're here today as an elder or whether you're here as a deacon or whether you're here as a Sunday school teacher or whether you're here as a small group leader, whether you're here as a nursery worker, whether you're here as you have a little group of folks who meet in your home, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, you have a flock. God has put you in a place of leadership. I would say it even has application if you are a teacher in, in a school or a, a boss at work. These things have application. So while they apply specifically here to elders, I think we'll see application for all of us. Here we go. Verse 2. We've already done half of verse 2, but let's just review the whole thing. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And here's the new material. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The conduct of church, of church leaders, we are not to serve grudgingly. Not under compulsion, he says, but willingly. Very often you see what happens in churches is there's nobody to do the work and so people go around saying, hey, would you serve as a fill-in-the-blank? You know, elder, deacon, Sunday school teacher, uh, nursery worker, and, uh, you know, the pressure gets on and the arm gets twisted. Okay, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it! <laughs> and he says, don't serve like that. Don't serve like that. He says, Serve as God would have you do. Well, how would God have you serve? Well, I look around the room. The majority of us in here have been parents. If, we, if we're not parents, we're old enough to, to understand. When a parent asks a child to do something, how does the parent want the child to do it? What they don't want is... Which is what kids usually do, right? How refreshing it would be when mom says, hey... Junior, would you take out the trash? And Junior says, oh, mother, yes. It is such a privilege for me to be in this house. I would love to take out the trash. And not sarcastic. <laughs> really. You know, Susan, would you do the dishes? I would love to. Thank you. You know, I, you feed me so well here. You take such good care of me. What a joy it is and a blessing for me to be here. I would love to do the dishes. You realize that's how God wants us to serve. We want that from our kids, but we don't get that ourselves. <sighs> I guess somebody needs to serve in the nursery. <laughs> hmm. Okay, enough of the guilt. Serve cheerfully. Serve cheerfully, as God would have you to do. By the way, don't have a bad attitude when ministry gets hard. And by the way, especially leading in ministry, sometimes it gets hard. It can be stressful. It can be frustrating, difficult, draining. When I was a young man, it was a long time ago, and I was thinking about going into ministry. I remember my pastor, what a dear man, who, who invested in me in many ways. But I remember him talking, just giving little bits of advice here and there. I remember one day he just said, you know, if you're going to 
go into leading sheep, expect to step in lots of sheep doo-doo. And he said it just that way. And I was like, makes sense. I learned as I came into ministry how true that is. And so it will be for any of you who take on roles of, of shepherding and leading and working with people because we are, we are all sinners and all of us are continually messing up. We make a mess of stuff and we make a mess of stuff. There's all this sheep doo-doo around that, that those who come along and try to help are stepping in. That's the role of shepherding. Don't have a bad attitude when that happens. Expect it. And may I say one more application of this is be willing to serve. When he says here, you know, not under compulsion, but willingly. Again, one of the great problems in churches everywhere I know is finding people to serve. Finding people to lead. Because leading can be difficult, many people avoid it. Leadership in the church, leadership in ministries, even leadership, leadership in homes often goes wanting. It goes lacking because people are lazy or unwilling to do the hard work of leadership. My challenge to you is when God puts opportunity and ability before you to lead, step up and answer the call and serve willingly. There are legitimate reasons at times that we cannot serve or should not serve, but may may it never be because we're lazy May it never be because we are wrongly focused on other things that are less important. Another thing that leaders should never be, they shouldn't be grudging, shouldn't serve grudgingly. Leaders, godly leaders in his church should not be greedy. We've all seen stories, we've seen and heard stories and reports of people who are, you know, pastors, elders, Church leaders who, through their ministries, have become exceedingly wealthy, living in sprawling mansions, you know, relaxing on their yachts, wearing their big, huge diamond rings and their Rolex watches and their designer suits, and they drive Rolls Royces and they have private jets. And you don't have to be a Christian scholar. Or you don't have to be a decades-old mature Christian to look at that and say, that's messed up. (laughs) Most of the outside world looks at that and says, that's messed up. But that really isn't Peter's big point here. You see, Peter's point actually goes much deeper than that. Greed, you see, isn't about the amount of of things. It's about a heart issue. The problem is seeking to gain from ministry rather than seeking to serve in ministry. It is seeking to get rather than to give. And it can be a problem with leaders who who receive much or it can be a problem with leaders who receive little if nothing. Anyone who leads for what they can get whether they are seeking wealth or whether they are seeking accolades, affirmation, glory, pride, prestige, power. Anyone who leads for what they can get does not have the heart of a godly leader. They have it backwards. 
Because the sheep that you are supposed to lead don't exist to serve the shepherd. The shepherd exists to serve the sheep. The third thing the godly leader is to not do is found in verse 3. It says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Don't be domineering. The elders in the church are the authority of the church, but they are not to be authoritarian. That's the point. Godly leaders don't flaunt their position. They are not demanding or bossy or condescending. It's like Jesus instructed us in Matthew chapter 20, where he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. You know how it works in the world out there. The higher a position somebody gets, the more titles they want before their name, the more that they want uh, a bigger, fancier office and, and nicer clothes and a fancier car, and then sooner or later they, they want to stop uh, driving a fancier car. They want a chauffeur. <laughs> All of these things to get you know, lifted up higher and exalted up higher in, in people's esteem. And Jesus said, that's how it is out there. But notice what he says. Verse 26, it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Instead of barking orders and issuing edicts, elders are to lead by example. They are to encourage others then to follow. I grew up in Texas. Most of you know that. In Texas, they've got a lot of cattle. Most of the places you go in the state, there are people raising cattle. And the way you move cattle is you drive them. And we're used to that from watching the, the old cowboy movies. That's me on the horse, I'm sure. You drive cattle but you don't drive sheep. And that's an important distinction. Sheep are like people. They don't like to be driven. People don't like to be ordered around, bossed around, threatened, pushed. Sheep are like people. They prefer to be led. And that's what he calls leaders here to do. Don't lord your authority. Don't be domineering. Lead by example. Peter practices, by the way, what he preaches. You notice that Peter here, as he addresses these elders, he doesn't come off and say, all right, guys, I'm the apostle Peter. And I walked with Jesus. He called me Rock. Just so you know, Rocky. And... I was there at his resurrection. He said, feed my sheep. I'm the chief shepherd, the Pope, by the way. (laughs) No, he doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. I'm just one of you. I'm a shepherd that Jesus put here over his sheep. One of you. I was a witness to the sufferings of Christ, by the way. That's what humbled Peter. He saw what Jesus endured. 
He says, I've got to follow his footsteps. It's not about glory. It's not about power. It's all about serving. Jesus. He, I mean, Peter finally got these words from Jesus. He understood it. But who, who, he who wishes to be great among you, be the servant of all. So Peter says, elders, dear brothers, be good shepherds. Be good overseers. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's good news. There is awesome reward for these faithful shepherds, these faithful elders, these faithful overseers. And that's awesome. All of us who are elders here, we're going, yes, cool, good, yeah. And the rest of you are going, bummer. But lest we think you're left out, may I say as I go back, I think there's application here for everyone. Peter's talking to the elders, but I think he would say it to the Sunday school teacher. I think he would say it to the grandparent. I think he would say it to the nursery worker. Be a good shepherd. Be a good overseer. Shepherd the flock under your care. And when the chief shepherd comes, there's reward that comes. Serve faithfully. You see, every one of us can have a little flock. Every one of us should have a little flock of those whom we are pointing to Jesus. And we should be doing our best to encourage them to learn God's Word, to apply God's Word, to grow in Christ, to love Jesus. In the good news, Jesus is coming back. He says in the, in the last of the book, the end of the book of Revelation, He says, I'm coming, bringing my reward with me. Let's all be good shepherds. He concludes this section by turning His attention from the leaders and turns it to the entire congregation. And He gives us here, as we wrap up, two essential qualities for every church member. Look there in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Be subject to the elders. Be subject to the leaders. He speaks particularly to the young men, I think, because the young men perhaps are the most prone to those to be a little rebellious and a little headstrong. But it really applies to everyone. And it's a principle that we've seen if you've been here in the study. It's all the way through the book. Chapter 2, he talks to all of us. Submit yourself to every governing authority. Every one of them. We're to be subject to authority. He takes it to the workplace and he says, Slaves, be subject. Submit yourselves to your masters. He brings it into the home. He says, Wives, submit to your husbands. He brings it into the church. He says all of us are to submit to the leadership, to the elders in the church. Again, it's and in the case of all the other things as we've talked about, the ones in the past, it doesn't mean that we can't ask questions. It doesn't mean that we can't express opinions. It doesn't mean we can't disagree. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't address heresy if elders step out of line. That's the job of the other elders, by the way, is to keep your pastor on the straight and narrow. But it is saying that we are all to be respectful of the leaders 
And ultimately, there is not to be rebellion, nor slandering, nor undermining of those who are our leaders. Be subject to the leaders. The other thing he says here is be humble. Everybody, be humble toward one another. I would say if I look in the Scriptures for the preeminent characteristic that we are to exhibit as believers in Jesus Christ, I would go back to what we said a couple of weeks ago when I took us back into John as Jesus is there in the upper room with the disciples and He says, By this all men will know that you are My disciples and that you have love for one another. That's the preeminent characteristic by which we should be known as believers. But if that's the number one, the number two is humility for you see, I think love grows, love flourishes in the soil of humility. Love requires that we put others ahead of ourselves. That's what humility is. Don't miss that powerful little phrase there. It's a little warning. It says, God is opposed to the proud. See, when you and I get puffed up, and by the way, He has to say this to us because you have a pride problem. And so do I. Every one of us do. I haven't met a person yet who doesn't have a pride problem. It is inherent with our sin nature. And he has to remind us, when we are proud, we set ourselves against God. That's a dangerous place to be. It's not a good place to be. But when we are humble, notice he says, he says he give, God, give, God gives grace. When we are humble, when we put ourselves humbly before God, we discover the wonderful riches of His grace. A vibrant, effective church is dependent upon and desperately needs good leaders. A vibrant, effective church also needs to be filled with good followers and with people who are humble. As I wrap up, may I say, I've been in this church for 40 years. i got to say, you guys get this. This place has, has had for 40 years, I have seen wonderful leaders, good, godly, humble men who've led this church well. And you as a church family are the most wonderful followers, the most humble servants. It is an honor to have this church and to serve this church. May I say, may this lesson encourage us to keep, keep moving on, to keep moving forward, that God may work through us and in us and use us greatly for His purpose. Let's pray. Father, thank You for these truths. Even this day, as in a few moments, we will have a congregational meeting we will talk about many things. Father, may we, not only this day, but as we have been in the past, may we continue to be a body that is humble before You, that treats one another with humility and love. May we be a body that, that honors Your Word and seeks to follow Your Word. May You continue to grace us with shepherds who lead well. And Father, may by Your grace, May you work through us to accomplish great things, not for our honor, but for yours, for your glory, as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.